Uh, they've actually issued a statement to state they only accept accredited certification from a, an organisation that is UCAS accredited. When you're telling them that they've wasted potentially £30,000, it becomes quite upsetting for them. Who's providing the consultancy? Who's providing the certificate? Now go and check that. Hi, uh, welcome to the RKMS podcast. Uh, this is the second in the series so far. Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is UCAS accreditation and what the difference is between UCAS and non-UCAS. Uh, by the side of me, I've got uh, my son, Joshua Keane, and my daughter, Rebecca Keane. And I'll introduce myself again. It's John Keane, and I'm the Chief Executive of RKMS. Often, um, when we have inquiries coming through, is what what is UCAS? A lot of people don't understand the difference. We're aware of it. Yeah, there is a there is a, a, a quite a bit of ignorance or unaware or lack of awareness, should I say, of what UCAS is. Basically, every country has its own what's called a notified body or recognised as the national notified body. And in and in the United Kingdom, it is UCAS. UCAS is also well known throughout the world as well. There are other accreditation bodies out there and national accreditation bodies or notified bodies. And for instance, you've got ANAB in America, you've got INAB in Ireland, for instance, yeah. And then you've got Jazz Islands, which is the, the Australian uh, New Zealand body. Basically, in the United Kingdom, the government will uh, have actually issued a statement to state they only accept accredited certification from a, an organisation that is UCAS accredited. They only accept accredited certification from a, an organisation that is UCAS accredited. They only accept accredited certification from a, an organisation that is UCAS accredited. Difference between UCAS and non-UCAS accreditation. So, yeah, so UCAS is, you mentioned then, UCAS, ANAB, ANAB, they're all sort of notified bodies within their own countries, but they all fall part of a bigger picture framework as such. They do. It is interchangeable, so... Although we, we always say to, to clients, make sure it's UCAS accredited, in theory, it makes no difference if it's INAB or ANAB, uh, for instance, because they are members of the International Accreditation Forum. Conformance are the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the risks for a company if they do go for a non-UCAS accredited company? In theory, they, they might never come across and uh, never have a problem. The first risk is, from experience... They haven't got good governance, for instance. I remember many years ago when the Security Industry Association w was formed and security guards had to have the ISO 9001 as part of their licensing. I was assessing a company who'd changed from being non-UCAS non and I was going in as the UCAS accreditation body, if you will. And what I found is that the two of the security guards that were working in retail security, when I come back and looked at the five-year vetting, which is a requirement of the standard, they both had convictions for shoplifting. Now, that's quite serious, really, when they're, they're being employed as security guards looking after a retail store, and a, and a very well-known high street retail store at that. So they're the, the risks that you could have there. The other risks are that you could spend that money, and a lot of these tie you up to a 10-year contract. So the headline figure is it's £1,500 per standard, and it's a £1,000 a year audit. So you've now got tied up, say you've got, Two standards, £3,000 and then £30,000. So you've got £33,000 over 10 years, for instance. You might go to your first customer and say, here you go, here's our badges, here's our certificates. And they might turn around and laugh at them and say, go away and get a real one because it's not UK's accredited. They're then going to be tied into a contract for 10 years, spending £33,000 on those standards, which are worthless. 
Well, one of the, the things that we find, and it is quite frustrating in a way, over the years, the amount of clients have contacted us, asked us for a quote, we've been through this conversation with them and explained the pros and cons of it, and then they've gone away, and then they've said they've gone elsewhere, and they've never quite told us. And then a few years down the line, we we, we get the same client inquiring again, and they're saying, yeah, we, we went down the non-Newcastle route, and unfortunately our customer almost done this up. Uh, but the thing is, if they come back to you then and they say, well, how much will it be now because we've already got a standard? Mm-hmm. And we know that... You know, I'd say the level of yeah. depth is it? It's not. It's not hard to kind of get across. Yeah, uh, and then you know when you tell them that they've wasted potentially thirty thousand mm. pounds, it becomes quite upsetting for them. Yeah, we have a couple of that have come to us that um, have been tied into contracts that are having to still pay out and have yes. still decided yeah. to go with us. And then yeah, that. and I think that's that's a good thing about us as well as when we have those initial conversations with with clients that are inquirers, we go through this with them straight away. Mm. We even say about as even if you don't use us, make sure you use a consultancy and a certification body that are independent and are UCAS accredited. Yeah. Don't if someone's offered you a certificate and a consultancy together, run effectively. I mean, I say you run, but there may be a, you might just be doing it for an internal continual improvement inter- internally rather than having the badge of the law to go to win contracts and win customers. Which... We'll just at least be aware, is it? Yeah. Give it in that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely if you're being locked into those contracts. Because I mean, I wouldn't want to be. Yeah, I wouldn't want to run that risk of going down that route, and then two years, three years down the line, big contract comes up, maybe even a government contract. You're thinking, well, we've grown now, we want that, and you're able to pay out that contract to then enlist in consultancy like us to come in, get you up to the standard, and then to go to a certification body to be certified. Isn't going to be cheap. No, I mean, you can see the appeal in it. You know, they guarantee your certification within thirty days. You're you're, put, you're going in for a tender and you've got six weeks to get that tender in. If you came to us, and we, we would say it's highly unlikely we'd be able to get you certification within that period of time because it takes time to embed the processes. It, it takes time for us to understand exactly. You know, and we have to ask our we have to ask our clients as well, how do you operate so that we can write, that, that we can bespoke the system around how they operate rather than saying, here's a template, do that from tomorrow because that doesn't really work. You know, it's, it's what works for the client. That's what's important. I mean, we, we've obviously got a templated system, but it's not sort of like you say, it's not, here's this and this is what you do from now on. It's more, this is the topic you need to cover. Yeah. How do you do it? Yeah. Uh, because it's written, obviously, to the standard. Yeah. Well, if we didn't have a templ- templated system, uh, I mean, the, the best way is to sit down with the client, explain what the standard's asking for, and how do we do it, and then write it from fresh, from scratch. However, if that takes a, f- a lot longer. What we do is we, we have a template system that we show to the client and say, look, how do you measure customer satisfaction, for instance? Because that was a requirement of 9,001. And they'll probably say, well, we don't really do it. But when you get talking to them, yeah, we've got a field sales rep, for instance, that goes out and visits. I've had this before. It was a well-known footwear manufacturer and said to them, how do you do this? And they're like, well, we don't. We, we don't really do it. And I'm looking because it was a template system and it was in red text. So I knew that he hadn't done it. So I've asked him about the audit. So how, how do you do this? And like, oh, we don't do it. I went, no, it says here that you send out a questionnaire. No, we don't do that. I went, okay, man. It turns out that we have guys visiting Next, visiting JD Sports, the JJB at the time, and all the, the big retail companies, if you will. And I said, well, what, what's your guy doing there? Oh, he's asking about on-time deliveries, on about quality issues. How <laughs> <laughs> responsive. And I says, I says, yeah, so you get him that feedback. I said, what do you do with that? And oh, he gets fed into a, a, a national sales meeting, and then we look at it, and then we, we, we get objectives for improvement from it. And I went, that's exactly what I what 9001 is asking you for. It's about say what you do, do what you say you're going to do, 
check to make sure you've done what you said you're going to do and how can you improve it? And it was when I started talking to him, he was like, oh yeah, the penny's rot. I said, put that in your procedure. And we did. It's not rocky science. You're like, I can do it. <laughs> as far as sort of UCAS and non-UCAS go, is there a way for companies to sort of find out? Because obviously people get, yes, I can get you. 9,001, yeah. 14,001. Is there somewhere that they can go to check these certificates to say, yes, this, this they can, be, yeah. they stand it or not? Yeah. Uh, well, there's two things, isn't it? You can check the certificates, but you can also check an organisation certification body. If they're, Yeah, so, yeah, if anybody's sort yeah, of located, yeah. then they can... They... Yeah, the, the UCAS, if you're looking at a certificate, it will have a, a, a purple or a blue-looking logo with a crown and a tick. And next to it, it'll have in letters, it'll say UCAS, it'll say all well, like management systems. Uh, or if it's, like, if it's for a, an organisation does testing, it'll say testing or inspection. So you can do that. But the other thing you can do as well is you can Google UCAS cert check and you can put the name of a company in there. It will come up and you can put the name of a company in that cert check and it will tell you whether what certificates they do hold. If it doesn't does it come up, it's the chances are that it's not a UCAS certified. Or it might be that they just literally achieved it. Yeah, there's, there's always that as well. Yeah, well, it's usually pretty up to date. Yeah, and then the other thing is, is on natural UCAS as well. So if you're looking, uh, the organisation is saying, yeah, we'll give you an accredited certificate. Mm-hmm. You can go over to UCAS and there's, there's a sector for accredited organisations, and you can search that company on there as well. And that's a list of every every certification body that UCAS right. has accredited. Yeah, yeah. That are able. And then if you click onto it as well, they've, they've got what they call scoping documents, mm-hmm. where effectively it tells you what they can cover. So with say the standards like nine, fourteen, and so on, these sort of subcategories underneath them, so there may be a certain area that a certification body will be able to do nine thousand one, but it might be a certain industry that they can't certificate it. And again, that is the difference between UCAS and non-UCAS. And as a UCAS certification body, you've got to demonstrate competence of your auditors. When they're not UCAS, they don't have that oversight, so there's no governance there. You can effectively get somebody from school, a sixteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old going and do an audit there's no requirements for qualifications there's no requirements for competence whereas if it's a UCAS certification it's quite robust there's sort of like 34 industry codes if you will and you have to have that sector code to be able to audit in that sector and by that you've got to demonstrate qualifications knowledge experience and it's quite robust I've been through it myself with a number of certification bodies and I remember for once the CB having to complete about I think it was 103 different documents uh, because I, I had about 30, I had 31 out of the 34 sector school codes because of it, the nature of my background. But again, it's about having that experience in, in a wider field and being able to offer advice and guidance. When you're doing an audit for a certification body, a third-party audit, you're not supposed to give a consultancy. So you're not really supposed to give any guidance whatsoever. However, you're there. They're, they're paying you to, to deliver that. And it may be that you could you could make a comment about every thought about doing something like that and leave it. You're not offering consultancy, you're just asking them, questioning their thinking to make them sort of trigger and say, hang on a minute, I can look at this, I can look at that and maybe do something better. It's about improvement, it is. Uh, but if I came into to your company, for instance, say you were a food processing company, and I turned around and said, you've got to start doing this type of test and use this supplier, then that's obviously a conflict of interest, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I suppose what they were to look at would be to probably explain well what I say anyway is I call it follow the trail. Yeah. So if you're engaging with a company, us for instance, you can when we sit with Tier Round and saying we're gonna give you a credit certification, you can go straight to UCAS, go to that search credit organizations, type in Rose of Management Services or RKMS, 
we will not appear on that list because we are not an accredited certification body, not a UCAS accredited certification body. That's what I would always advise. So I would always think after the questions of who's providing the consultancy, who's providing the certificate, now go and check that. So if it's the same company that's offering the certificate, consultancy and certification, red flag straight away. Yeah. If it's two independent companies, I would then go and check whoever's supplying that certification. I would go to UCAS, type in that organization in yeah. and look to see if they're on that list. If they're not on that list, again, red flag. Yeah. Uh, you should be able to follow it straight through. If they are on that list, I would probably then look at scope. I mean, to be honest, if they're on that list, I would have already told you whether they can certify you or not. But yeah, that's the what I would do. I'd follow that trail. So just to go into that a little bit more, is UCAS sort of just all under one umbrella or is the sort of different UCAS bodies depending on the sector? Yeah, for instance, UCAS will accredit a certification body and say you're accredited, but you'll have the scope where we can assess to. Mm-hmm. So for instance... If it's a company that's, a, that's assessing within the nuclear sector, then we've got to demonstrate competence in the nuclear sector because that's dangerous, isn't it? If we don't have somebody who knows what they're doing, if they're going and saying, yeah, you're great, you, you meet all the requirements for health and safety, you're, you're doing everything right. Your guy's going out glowing with, in the back of a hoodie like The Simpsons is brilliant, you know, taking the work home with them. Uh, yeah, so it does have to be, you need to demonstrate that competence. But also with UCAS, there are other arms to it, if you will. So for instance, there's a laboratory accreditation so there's a standard called 17025, and UCAS will go in and assess that laboratory to that standard for what they do. So, for instance, we've got clients that do noise surveys, and they're assessed by UCAS that they're doing things correctly to, to the right ISO standard. We've got clients that uh, do make calibrated calibration devices or measuring devices. Again, that's 17025, they go in and check that. UCAS will send somebody who's competent in that area to make sure that we calibrate equipment correctly. There are other standards there. There are standards for product certification. There are standards for uh, personnel certification. So, for instance, you've got inspection bodies, notified bodies. An inspection body might have a standard such as ISO 17020, which basically means you're an inspection body and you will go out and you're looking at conformity against the standard. So, for instance, one of our clients assesses fairground rights and the inspection bodies there really need to have some sort of traceability, again, to demonstrate competence that somebody's looking after your son's uh, ride and welfare when they're on a theme park or a, a travelling fair. They've got to have that level of credi- credibility and confidence that bots aren't going to come loose and, you, and your seven-year-old kid's not going to go flying out of a ride and the world's are good. And exactly. Uh, and UCAS oversee that as well. So there is a, this like 17020, 17.025. 17.021 is the standard certification bodies work to. So we've done quite a lot of work in, in those areas. Uh, we did quite a bit of work with you know, the Saudi Arabian Standards Organization during lockdown. They're looking at coming a, a, an accreditation body themselves. So we did a lot of training. We trained about 11,000 uh, members of the, uh, the civil service, if you will, in, in Saudi Arabia over about 12 months in standards such as 17.02 or 17.025. How many standards is there? Oh, that's a question. <laughs> it's growing and growing and growing. Uh, for pretty much everything these days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of standardisation when it first came out, uh, it, back in the days, there was a standard known as BS5750, which came out in uh, the late 70s. And that's basically because British manufacturing was struggling. We weren't competitive, not saying that we're that competitive these days, but we were falling well behind most Western worlds. Uh, so, most Western economies, should I say. So, uh, the government formed uh, BS5750. And that became popular in the 1980s. The idea of that was you used to have Ford, you used to have Marks and Spencers, you'd have the Ministry of Defence visiting suppliers. And not 5750 did it, but it could be produced a framework so that companies could standardise the way that they do things. 
And that's what an ISO 9001's turned into, if you will, or developed from, shall I say. So the whole idea of, of the first standard there, but it was to be assessed to. So when you think about it, the standards industry is only sort of like 40 odd years old. I would say, as to hazard a guess, going back to your first question, I would say there are probably around about four or 5,000 standards. Uh, however, not all standards can be certified to. Mm. So there's a lot of guidance standards as well, isn't there? There's a lot of guidance standards. There's a lot of standards that are not UCAS adopted. So, for instance, past 2060 at the moment isn't adopted by UCAS. They've been running pilot schemes on there, and I believe there's one certification body that's got through that at the moment, and there's a couple that are looking to, to get through there. Believe me. <laughs> there's actually an ISO coming out, which is going to replace the past 2060. So it's yeah. got to be coming ISO. Yeah. I'm not going to say what number that is, because I'll get it wrong. It's up from like four, you know, six, eight, something like that. <laughs> <laughs>